In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. I would be Matt or Matlana. I didn't give myself the nickname. I earned the nickname. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. All right, without further ado, let's bring in Mark Richt, a great conversation with the man who spent a lot of years walking the sidelines in Athens, most recently walking the sidelines down in Coral Gables, just a great guy to reminisce with, with Mark Richt. All right, uh, Coach Richt, let's, uh, let's go back for a little bit. Tell me about Mark Richt, the kid playing football, and how big was, how big was sports in your household growing up? Oh, goodness. Well, I was born in Omaha, and, uh, of course, everybody loved the Cornhuskers. Uh, my family, everybody, and my dad's family, everybody, my mom's family. And that was big from the very beginning. But just sports in general was what we did. I lived across the street from an elementary school, my elementary school. And, that you know, we were living in the days where you'd get up in the summertime and you'd, you'd go play and you might come back for lunch. And then you'd go play again and come back for dinner, go play till the streetlights came on, then you had to go home. But we played every sport imaginable and we were – we loved it. Uh, and then – you know, I'd say baseball early on was my my first love, uh, probably because that's what my dad loved and uh, gave me a chance to watch ball games with him. And, you know, I remember him coming home and trying to beg him to play catch with me and all that good stuff. We'd play catch a bunch. And so baseball was big. And then about the 10th grade, 10th or 11th grade, I can't remember which uh, might have been 11th going into my 11th grade year. But uh, that's when Roger Coffey, uh, who went to Boca Raton Community High School, I went from Omaha to Colorado, base 13, moved to Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, that's where, uh, you know, I went to Boca Raton High School. And that's where Coach Coffey said, look, if you want to be my quarterback, I need you just to play football only. And, you know, I I bought into it. He, he did say if you – do what I tell you to do. Uh, I think I can help you get a scholarship and all that. And so I, you know, I bit the hook and, uh, and that was it. I, I just started playing football only at that time, but he, he really loved the game of football. He had a tremendous passion for it. I'd go to his house and watch film with him on that 16 millimeter. I remember him just sitting there, uh, you know, eating the orange and just watching film and talking <laughs> ball with me. Uh, you know, he, he has since passed away, unfortunately. Uh, but he, he was one of the greatest high school coaches in the state of Florida anyway. But um, so that's kind of where high school went. Um, my senior year, and I'm just kind of rambling, but my senior year, going into my senior year, for whatever reason, just a few weeks prior to the season beginning, my coach, our coach, Roger Coffey, uh, ended up not being our coach. And uh, I'm not even sure what happened to this day, 
But, uh, you know, he got let go. And uh, now Boca Raton was, uh, and Delray Beach, Boca Raton was predominantly white kids, I guess you'd say. And and Delray Beach were predominantly black, uh, black kids. And, uh, but we were all, we were all teammates. We were all friends. And uh, we both, we all were upset about Coach Coffey not being our coach anymore. So we decided to boycott the season and uh, wrote a letter and to the editor and got it printed and tried to force our coach back into business, but it didn't work out. And we actually skipped a few practices during two days. And finally, Coach Coffey got to a couple of the leaders and said, look, you, you boys got too much at stake. You need to play. And uh, so he encouraged us to go and play. So we did. And we actually uh, had to, I think it's still the greatest year Boca Raton ever had. We went to the semifinals of the state championship, lost to Miami Carroll City, who eventually the next week won the state championship. So we had had a great year. And I think part of it happened because of how we kind of came together when our coach was gone. So, Mark, what was the the recruiting – situation like for you how hot and heavy were teams yeah, after you ended well, up in Miami me, but who were the others yeah what happened was uh, my junior year I think it was my very first game uh, I got my knee hurt and I didn't really hardly play at all I remember one game late in the season I got I came in for like the last play right before the half against uh, I think it was Lake Worth possibly and uh, coach just had me getting the shotgun, drop back, hobble back a couple steps, and launch a bomb. And by the grace of God, uh, <laughs> Spencer Jackson, I think, it, it caught it, and we scored a touchdown. But I didn't play hardly at all my junior year. So recruiting was slow. And, of course, recruiting back then was slower anyway. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of junior recruiting or sophomore recruiting. And a lot of the recruiting didn't happen until – the football season was over. Uh, it was just a different way of doing business back then. But uh, but as the season went on and we had success and I played well, um, I, I had people come and, and that were interested. I, I remember Fran Kersey was head coach of Kentucky, uh, visited, had a – I think I had an official visit to Florida when Charlie Pell was there. Uh, coach Bowden at Florida State had a visit there. And, uh, of course, had the Miami visit. And then, believe it or not, Brown University got in the middle of it. And uh, so I kind of got – I kind of narrowed it down to Miami and uh, and Brown University. That They had back then what's called a state letter of intent. And if you signed a state letter of intent early – it was early on in the process. And you couldn't sign with any other state school. And I signed a state letter of intent with Miami – which wouldn't have kept me from going to wherever. Now I will say at, at the at the very end, uh, Notre Dame at least sent somebody to the school, and of course my mom was just almost mortified that I didn't want to go to Notre Dame because <laughs> uh, she, you know, we we grew up in a Catholic home and that was a big deal. But long story short, uh, I decided to go to Miami, figuring I'd be the the next guy. Now I I, I was you know, first team all state and all that good stuff. And thought I was a hot shot back then. But uh, anyway, I went to Miami buying uh, coach Saban's coach Lou Saban, uh, his, his uh, sales pitch of coming in and 
being the guy. But he said the same thing to Jim Kelly, who was in that class <laughs> as well. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at rose-group.com. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. The dailydraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like trivia night, kids eat free night, and more. The dailydraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love the Daily Draft. Well, give us the names, though, because it's Jim Kelly, Bernie Kosar. Like, give yeah. me the full list of quarterbacks that cross paths with well, you at your time my there. Class, all right, my class, just to give you an idea of recruiting, okay? You t- yes, by that. Not long before the signing date. I'm in Coach Saban's office, and again, it's Lou Saban, and I'm I'm looking at the Miami Herald at, at all the commitments that are about to sign here in the next day or two, whatever it was. And so I asked him, I said, "What's the deal on this guy named Mike Rodriguez, uh, Choctahatchee High School? They actually were runner, run, runners up to the state championship. They lost to Miami Carroll City that year. I go, what about this Mike Reek, this Mike Rodriguez guy?" You know, it said quarterback slash athlete or whatever. And he said, you see that slash athlete? He's going to be, you know, play another position. I'm like, okay. Which he actually did play quarterback. But um, then I go, well, what about this guy, Jim Kelly, East Brady, Pennsylvania? It says QB with no slash on it. I go, what's up with that? He told me I was the man. He said, he goes, he goes, Mark, somebody's got to back you up. And I'm like, good thinking, coach. Uh, so, anyways, Jim Kelly and I and Mike Rodriguez were all in that freshman class. Mike eventually moved to wide receiver position, had a really good career, actually. Um, and then by the time we were seniors, Jim Kelly and I were seniors, the two guys that came in as freshmen were Bernie Kozar and Vinny Testaverde. Uh, so, we're seniors, they're freshmen. I'll never forget opening opening week of camp. Uh, you know, it was the time for the freshmen to get their their little reps. You know, their their series they were going to get, and I can't remember I can't remember who went first, but it was like Bernie might have gone in there and gone six for six, threw a touchdown pass, you know, and then Vinny went in and he was like six for seven or something like that, and uh, you know he threw a touchdown pass, and Jim and I are looking at each other like we better get out of here, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, those guys. So, you know, Jim was the first rounder. Bernie was a, a supplemental draft first rounder. Vinny was the first pick of the draft when he came out. And uh, I was in the same picture, I guess. Uh, even our coach, Earl Morrill, 
who was with the Dolphins and the Colts, and he he was like 21 years in the NFL. He he was a first rounder. Uh, and then there's one more guy in that picture. If people have seen that picture of all of us together, is a kid named Kyle Vanderwin, who was out of Palm Beach County, and uh, me and him were the only ones that didn't get drafted. So, do you have any regrets about ending up there? No, no, no. I learned so much. Uh, you know, I never would have got my coaching opportunity that I that I got without being under the next coach. So, so my freshman year, Lou Saban was our coach. And after one season, he left. And that's when Howard Schnellenberger came in. Now, Coach Schnellenberger was the Dol- Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator when they went undefeated in, I think, 72. He also recruited Kenny Stabler and coached him and coached uh, uh, Joe Namath out of, out of high school uh, in, at Alabama. But anyway, he brought the Miami Dolphins system to college football. And uh, so we, we learned a lot about dropping back, throwing the ball, protections, hot side adjustments. I mean, all these things that people still do uh, and the NFL was doing at the time, I got a chance to learn. And, uh, and actually, after, after I finished my career at uh, – by the way, Mike Rodriguez and I used to call Jim Kelly Lucky Jim because – he really the only reason why he won the job was how lucky he was just you know throwing it deep and the receiver or uh, db bobbling in the bouncing to a receiver's hand and he'd go and score and <laughs> i mean long story short we just we just knew he was lucky that's why he won the job well anyway after i get done with my college, college career i take a shot um as a free agent i didn't get drafted take a shot as a free agent, uh, end up going to the Denver Broncos. Well, I go to the, I go to Denver, my uh, recruiting coach, so to speak. I'm having dinner with him, John Hadle, who I think was the wide receivers coach, great uh, NFL quarterback at one time with the Chargers. Anyway, we had, I had dinner with him. He took me to the hotel, said, hey, tomorrow we'll get a chance to meet Dan Reeves, who was the head coach of the Broncos at the time, and come by the football complex. So I was all excited about that. And I go to my hotel room when I turned on the TV. There was a news flash that said John Elway had just got traded from the Colts to the Broncos. <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, first I'm dealing with lucky Jim Kelly. Now, now lucky John Elway shows up. <laughs> so anyway, I was in that camp about a week. Uh, got cut. Now, I will say this. I spent the whole summer, um, you know, uh, working out and learning and all that. But when camp opened up, I – I lasted about the week. A week, I think I was the first guy cut, and uh, you know, it was, it was so funny because uh, I think it was the uh, the scout or whatever said, "Hey, get your." It was like a Monday morning after a scrimmage. He says, uh, "And we're 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 in camp somewhere in Colorado, or I don't know where we were." Anyway, he goes, uh, "Get your playbook. Coach Reeves wants to see you." And I'm thinking, yeah, baby, finally, we're going to sit down and talk some ball with the head coach, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sure enough, when they ask you to bring your playbook to see the head coach, you're getting, you're about to get cut, right? So I didn't know that till he cut me. And, you know, so I'm crying and all that. I got my bags packed, going down the elevator, getting ready to go. And right as I'm coming out, the veterans are coming in because the rookies went, you know, a week before the veterans got there. So the veterans are rolling in. I'm rolling out with my bags and, 
snot bubbles everywhere. And some wide receiver's like, dang, man, you got cut already? And uh, so that was the end of my pro career with Denver. Well, okay, so then short, what happens after? Short, short. Well, I, I try life insurance. I tried selling memberships at a club. I tried balleting cars, right? Well, I valet cars at the Boca Hotel and Club. And if you want to make a lot of money in those events, you you run to go get those cars because they park them way down the golf course, you know. You could either sit there and wait for a van or you could run. Well, I wanted to make more money, so I'd run, get the car, you know, get the tip, run, get the car, get the tip, and just do that all night. And I'm thinking I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm going to try out for the NFL again. So I called my agent. And uh, he said, I really don't want to represent you anymore. You're costing me money. So he fired me. Oh. And uh, so I called a buddy from college who wanted to be uh, an agent. I said, look, you want to be an agent. I want to be a player. Can you can you get me in? Well, he, he writes a letter to every club in the league, and somehow the Miami Dolphins are going to bring me into camp the next, the next year after Denver. So I'll never forget going in the locker room, the Miami Dolphins locker room, and I'm looking at, the lockers, and it's got, you know, jersey number seven, eight, get to nine, and there's my name. And I'm thinking, respect, man. That that was my college number and something I got number. And now there was a slash with another guy's name, Al Del, Del Greco, a kicker, so that wasn't a good sign. But anyway, I remember the uh, equipment man saying, hey, are you right? And I said, well, it's Rick. And he goes, whatever. He goes, uh you're wearing number nine, right? I go, yeah. He goes, you're going to get cut. I said, I just got here. And he said, no, anybody who wears number nine is going to get cut at the quarterback position. That's just the way it rolls around here. So, anyway, I'm like, whatever. And then I just kept going down the lockers, and then all of a sudden I got to number 13, and I saw the name Marino in there, and I'm thinking, oh, heck, <laughs> lucky Dan Marino. Uh, so, anyway, that's that. I, I lasted about a month there. Uh, got the call on a Monday morning. Dave Shula was the uh, assistant coach, coaching quarterback at the time, and Don Shula was the head coach at the, at the time. And uh, Dave came to me, he says, I got good news and bad news. I go, what's up? He goes, well, the good news is the test we took last week, you scored the highest of anybody. He goes, the bad news is uh, you got to get your playbook and go see my dad. And uh, so, anyway, I kind of knew what that meant this time around and, you know, shed a tear anyway, got cut by Don Shula, which, you know, if you get cut by some coaches, Dan Reeves and Don Shula is pretty good. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, I got cut, tried a bunch of other things, ended up trying to tend bar, got fired from that, and then finally I said, you know what, maybe I'll try coaching. And uh, What was your first job? Well, my very first job was after I got cut from the Dolphins. I got cut early enough where the season hadn't hardly started. And Pope John Paul High School, the head coach was Pete Christie, and he just said, hey, we need a little help. Can you come help us? Because I, I really had nothing to do. I was trying to get on with the Miami Hurricanes. I was trying to get on with the Hurricanes, my, my school, uh, as a GA, uh, but I was too late. They said, hey, come back after the season. Let's We'll see. So, like, I had nothing to do. And uh, so Pete Christie, head coach Pete Christie, said, hey, do you want to come help? So I helped him out, and uh, we went 0-10. Uh, it was a great season. We actually won one game because somebody 
had an illegal player, I think. But on the field, we got whipped. So my first year coaching, we didn't win a game. I, I was just a quarterback's coach, but even so, it wasn't uh, one very pretty. And then during that time, I wrote some letters to everybody in college. I thought there was a blue book of college athletics. I just looked through the the, the book, found every college I thought I might want to coach at, and just wrote a letter with a couple letters of recommendation. And lo and behold, um, I had a chance to go to LSU. And I actually accepted the opportunity to go to LSU, and I packed my U-Haul, which there wasn't much in it, and I was getting ready to go to Baton Rouge, and uh, right before I took off, the next that next day I was going to take off for LSU. That night, I got a call from Coach Bobby Bowden at Florida State, and uh, he said he needed a coach, uh, not only to be a GA, but but be the quarterbacks coach, help him coach the the quarterbacks. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So I called the coaches at Baton Rouge and LSU and said, hey, I got an opportunity to coach QBs at Florida State. I'm going. So I was a 20, I think, three-year-old, 24 maybe, um, graduate assistant coach, coaching quarterbacks. Danny McManus, I think, was like a year younger than me, the kid I was coaching. But uh, it was wild. You know, my – my job was going to be to help Coach Bowden coach QBs, but he came to my first meeting. He came to and he followed me around the first practice, and then he never came back. I mean, he just let me. Now I will say, when I got there, you know, talking about Miami and what I learned, did I regret being there? I said no because of what I learned of that pro system. But Coach Bowden was very interested in what Miami was doing because they're the arch rival, and uh, he says, "Hey, you." He goes, hey, buddy, uh, you got that playbook? He calls you buddy when he doesn't know your name. And uh, I'm like, no, I don't have the playbook. They don't let us keep the playbook. And he, he looked so disappointed. I thought he was going to fire me then. But, uh, I, but I had to think quick and just said, hey, coach, I got it all in my head. And uh, so long story short, a lot of things that I learned at Miami, over time I got a chance to, you know, talk a, a few ideas and little by little, you know, a couple things got yeah. put in and worked in that kind of thing. So, well, okay. So we know was, what coaching salaries are like today. Do you remember what your first salary was at Florida state? Uh, well, I was a GA. So I think, I think it was 500 a month. I think. How does one pull that off? If it was that, how do you do it? Well, I was, uh, I was, we I lived with um, three guys, four guys. One guy was renting the house. There's three bedrooms, so he had the one bedroom. And then the other guy, another guy had a bedroom. And then me and another guy split a bedroom. <laughs> so I think we might have spent, I think I spent $100 a month on rent. And then, you know, you, you kind of snag food at the football office and all that kind of stuff. You figure out ways to, to make it. But uh, that's how I made it for two years and then, Ended up getting hired as, as a volunteer coach. Well, yeah, I became – let me think here. Yeah, I was a volunteer coach for two years, back when they had the status called volunteer coach. But what I did is I worked for Seminole Boosters Incorporated in the summer, and I made a salary that way and uh, didn't get paid by the university. Um, so my part-time job in the summer – the summer I was selling season tickets – 
in the uh, in the fall, I might be uh, maybe sh- touring uh, boosters and things of that nature when I had free moment uh, away from football. So that's kind of how I made it. And then after that, I actually got my first full-time job was at East Carolina University. Uh, I was the offensive coordinator there, and uh, that was 1989 with Bill Lewis. And was there 11 months. Catherine and I were married by then, got pregnant with John, had the, you know, the baby room ready to roll. She was eight months pregnant and got a phone call from Brad Scott, who became the offensive coordinator at Florida State when uh, Wayne McDuffie left, and they needed he needed a quarterback's coach and uh, a guy to help him, you know, with the offense. And he called me and asked me if I wanted to go back. And, you know, Catherine was – my wife was, she went to Florida State, so, you know, she just broke down and cried, you know, like, you mean we could go back home? And so um, I said, look, if Coach Bowden wants me, I'll come. But, you know, if it's, if it's just you want me, I'm not coming. But if Coach Bowden wants me, I'll come. And so we, I got on the phone with Coach Bowden, and I was making 50000 at East Carolina as a coordinator there. And, and I and I gave this big bold price of fifty five thousand to Coach Bowden. <laughs> he said, he said, okay, buddy. He still didn't know my name by then. But um, anyway, so I, I became the quarterbacks coach, uh, you know, for a couple years before. A couple years in, he Coach Bowden let us start calling the plays when Charlie Ward was a, a junior. He started as junior senior. Ninety two, ninety three, we started calling plays. And by 94, Brad got the head job at South Carolina, and I got the offensive coordinator job at Florida State. Which at the time is as good a job as there is in America between the talent. That 10- or 11-year run, Coach, give me – and there's probably too much to try to cover, but for that 10- or 11-year run, give me some of the memories of those players. Yeah, we had uh, actually uh, 14 years in a row finished in the top four. And, uh, you know, back then, I guess there was a BCS National Championship game. The first five BCS National Championship games we were in, we only won two of them, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were independent early on and just winning 11, 12 games a year for the longest time. And then we joined the ACC, and I think the first eight years in the league, uh, we won We won the league every year. Um and, uh, you know, won a national championship with Charlie Ward in 93. And, of course, Charlie won the Heisman that year. Was actually the most decorated college football player in the history of college football. And um, he won the Sullivan Award, which is the uh, national collegiate athlete period of all sports. But And then in 99, we won the national championship with Winky, and he also won the Heisman. Uh, the year before, I think, um, you know, so a lot of, you know, great memories, great worked with great coaches, hardly anybody left. Everybody stayed that almost that entire run. And like I said, Brad Scott left in 94 to be the head coach at South Carolina, but that's about it. Um, so, uh, worked with great, great players, the Deion Sanders and guy like Marvin Jones and, uh, guys like, you know, Charlie Ward, Chris Winkie, you know, all those guys, uh, just so many great players, so many great skill guys at all positions. Terrell Buckley was there. Yeah. 
after Deion Sanders, he won the the Thorpe Award uh, as as Deion did, and uh, just had some awesome awesome moments, you know. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at roads-group.com. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. So take me through the whole process now when when you're on the radar for head coaching jobs and Georgia comes a-calling in 2001. What was the conversation like? Was it Coach Dooley? Was it people reaching out? How did that go? Well, um, five years prior, I got offered the head job at uh, the University of Pittsburgh. And Catherine and I went to visit there just to look, you know. And uh, long story short, at the end of the visit, the AD is like, hey, if you want to spend the night, we can introduce you tomorrow as our head coach. And I told Catherine when we on the way there that we will not make a decision while we're there. We just, we're going to get recruited, you know, and uh, we don't want to do that. And uh, so anyway, we went home and I said, look, we want to, we want to talk about it and pray about it and all that. And, and I asked Catherine, I, you know, I was surprised she, she was fired up, ready to go, you know? Um, and so I said, look, you know, do you want to live in Pittsburgh the rest of your life? <laughs> she said, not, well, probably not, really? And I said, well, then we're not taking the job. And she's like, why not? I said, well, I don't want to take a job knowing I'm looking for the next job. I just, not as a head coach. Um, you know, so we decided to stay, but at that time she goes, well, what, what job would be a great job in your opinion? And believe it or not, I think that very same year, um, Georgia was hiring Jim Donnan, uh, and this, and again, I'm talking five years prior to me going to Georgia. Um, and I think Clemson job was open at the time. And I said, you know, Clemson or Georgia, something like that, those would be jobs that I'd be very interested in, in you know, taking. And so five, that's, you know, five years later. And I'll say this, I wasn't ready to be head coach, uh, especially back when the Pittsburgh job opened up. I was, um, you know, I, I do think God was speaking to me and saying, you know what, you're not ready, but you need to get ready because it's coming. And so I started to pay a little more attention to what started to pay a little more attention to what Coach Bowden had to say and 
tried to think a little bit more like a head coach for the next five years, and then sure enough, uh, the the Georgia job came open, Virginia came open. I did I did a uh, interview at Virginia. We liked it. It's a beautiful place, and uh, you know you get you know everywhere you go you get recruited, and then um, you know coach. I think there was a headhunter who was working the the Georgia job and who got a hold of me first. And they set up, actually set up a meeting uh, in New York at the Waldorf Astoria. Coach Bowden had a room there because of that. I think the Hall of Fame, College Hall of Fame was going on. But I was there because of the uh, the Heisman Trophy awards were there. And I think that's when Winky, I don't even, I can't remember why I was there, but uh, one of the quarterbacks I had coached was there. I think it was Winky. So anyway, they wanted to organize a little meeting with me and Coach ba- in Coach Dooley's hotel room, and just to kind of fill the thing out. So I go in there, and as soon as I walk in, Coach Dooley gets a phone call. He picks it up. He starts talking real kind of quiet. Doesn't talk long. Hangs up the phone, and he was he was hot. And uh, somebody, I think it was Tony Barnhart. Called him and said, "Are you in the hotel room there with 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 Mark Richt, a possible head coach candidate?" <laughs> and so um, he asked me, you know, what happened, and I said, "I said, Coach, I didn't say a word, and I didn't, you know. Uh, I knew it was kind of supposed to be on the side, you know, on the sly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the deal was blown right there, uh, but." Long story short, the next day or that night or whenever I left, um, uh, I, I got with my agent and said, look, what happened? You know, well, he, my agent leaked it. Oh. And uh, so it wasn't long after that. Within a few weeks, I fired the guy. Uh, I don't remember his name, to be honest with you. But um, long story short, I had another interview where I think I went to a hotel room in Georgia and Coach Dooley was there, and uh, President Adams was there, and had a chance to talk to them, and uh, you know whatever they wanted to talk about, we talked about, and then I think they said, "Hey, we're going to interview a few more guys, and at the end of the week, we'll let you know." I was like, "Okay," so I went back home, and and I'm back in uh, Tallahassee, I guess, and. Um, I think the very next day or that night, even when I got home, I get a call from Coach Dooley saying he wants to offer the job, offer me the job. Well, I was kind of caught off guard. I wasn't really. I was thinking it's going to be two or three more days before they decided anything. <laughs> so I didn't really. I don't know. I just he called me and says, "Do you want the job?" And I was like, "Coach, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure." You know, and he said, uh, he says. Um, <laughs> Well, I'll offer you another fifty thousand. I said, I'm not trying to get a raise. I'm just I said, I'm just not sure. And he says, Well you I'm gonna give you twenty four hours and you gotta tell me what you're doing. And I think it wasn't long after was it uh Coach Mason or somebody yep. where along the way decided and changed his mind and all that and coach was like, We're not going through that again, you know. So anyway, I hang up the phone and I tell my wife and Long story short, she's like, hey, 
that's not coming from God. That that spirit of fear is 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 coming from you know Satan. You know, and don't don't you know believe in that or don't fault you know because I was just I was just wasn't sure you know. So anyway, once I got came to my senses, I talked to my brother Craig too. He's like he's like, bro, what are you doing, man? Take the job. So long story short, about two in the morning, I called Coach Dooley. And uh, I said, I want the job. And he goes, well, great. He goes, but what time is that? I go, it's about 2 in the morning. He goes, why, why did you call me until the, in the morning? I said, I was afraid you might wake up and change your mind, so I wanted to call you <laughs> before you woke up. And so that's how I got the Georgia job. So tell me about that first year of being a head coach, maybe from day one like to the, to the yeah. completion of year one. How different and how much culture shock yeah. is it being the guy sitting at the end of the table? Yeah, it's big. It's a it's a huge difference, and I knew it was going to be, but you never know until you get there. And I mean, I remember, you know, uh, like in recruiting, things didn't start out real hot, you know. And uh, I, I remember there was a some guy came up to me at a basketball game and is like, "Hey, coach, if you don't get it going in recruiting here, uh, we're going to start." My buddy says he's going to start buying players for you. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, let me tell you this. I said, you tell your buddy, he does anything like that, he's going to be killing the thing he loves, you know. But anyway, so I'm starting to feel the pressure of not to not to cheat, but just, you know, get it going. And I'll never forget Russ Tanner. I think it was Russ. Uh, I mean, he's as Georgia as Georgia can be. I'm like, if I, you know, but he was about to sign with Florida, but he called me one night and said, I'm coming to Georgia. And, uh, that was a big deal. I remember what is one of the bigger recruits early on that we got. And, um, then also DJ, uh, DJ Shockley as well was a big deal, uh, in that class. But, um, you know, we had Pollock, we had, you know, we had, uh, Thomas Davis. Pollock wasn't very highly recruited. Thomas Davis, I think it was us in Grambling. You know, Brian Van Gorder went to, Go visit and watch a high school basketball game at the last second. Said, "Well, he looks like a pretty good athlete. We'll take him." You know, he's like the tenth pick of the draft. You know, um, we signed some really good guys out of that class that really were not that highly recruited. I mean, Pollock, you know, three-time All-American, one of about every defense award you can win. Um, you know, started out I think as a nose guard. We, we didn't know if we were going to play him at fullback or nose guard. You know. But um, it was just a whirlwind, and there, you know, there's a lot of times where I was just wondering what I got myself into. But then, you know, time goes on, and you keep the faith, and they started to come around. Well, when they start coming around, you guys went on a heck of a run. There was a 13 to one season. There was the SEC championship seasons. Take me back to those years where maybe just the timing, right? Now we have a playoff where a 13-1 season would, would yeah. almost assuredly get you in a, in a playoff. How much do you look yeah. back and think the timing of it just wasn't you were that close to winning the whole thing there? Yeah, well, the uh, of course, the first year, the biggest victory was the Tennessee game, the hobnail boot uh, game where Larry Munson, you know, did his one of his memorable things. Well, we won in the last second of the game, but uh, that was kind of a validation game for us. But year two, like you mentioned, that was actually the year that Miami and Ohio State played for the national championship. And um, if there was a four-team playoff, we probably would have been in, in that playoff. 
and we were pretty darn good by the end of the year. We did lose to Florida that year. But if, even if we beat Florida, Miami and Ohio State were so highly ranked preseason, I'm not sure we could have overcome them and gotten into the national championship game. But if it was a 14 playoff, I'm certain we'd have been in that one. But that game, uh, that Sugar Bowl, of course, that was the first SEC championship in 20 years uh, for Georgia. And, that, you know, it was all, such a big deal. And, you know, the game that got us in there, we were playing Auburn at Auburn, and we had like a fourth and I don't know what, 18, and David Green, you know, launches one out there to Michael Johnson. He grabs it in the crowd, and we're going to the Sugar Bowl. You know, we won that. We're, we're, no, excuse me, we were going to the SEC championship game for the first time ever and uh, beat Arkansas that year. And then the, the Sugar Bowl, we played Florida State. You know, my, my coach, Coach Bowden, the, the man who not only gave me a job, but he led me to the Lord in 1986. And I just, you know, I love the guy. And so now we're coaching against Mickey Andrews, the defensive coordinator, and all the guys I knew, a lot of players I knew as well. And uh, kind of a weird feeling, but uh, once the game started, it was, time to compete and we actually won that game that was a big deal but and then there's probably two or three other seasons where if you'd have said you know 14 playoff would we be in it we we probably would have um the second sec championship was very special uh in that of course the first one was david green at quarterback who was a gem but uh but then shockley if you remember shockley was backing up green his whole career and uh could have left um you know nowadays he might have left i don't know but uh he hung in there and uh we had this thing called the hot seat where we would um put a chair out in front of the team meeting room and during during camp during two days we'd after dinner we'd all go in there and have the hot seat we'd have usually a senior started off the seniors would start it off, and they would basically just say what it means to them to be a Bulldog. Well, Shockley jumped in the hot seat before his senior season when he was going to be – he was the starting quarterback. Green had, had graduated. And uh, he said, you know, he's talking to the team. He goes, I have uh, had a lot of people tell me I should have left. Uh, even my dad thought it might be a good idea to go because I was behind Greeny and – all that stuff. And uh, he goes, but I stayed. And he goes, and I'm going to tell you why. There's two reasons why. I said, one was my brothers. He had brothers that had fragile X, a uh, form of mental retardation. And um, he goes, they, they love Georgia. They love the Bulldogs. And they wouldn't understand if I left. I didn't want to, you know, break their hearts, so to speak. And he goes, and the other, the second reason why I stayed is because of every man in this room. Because I love every one of you guys, and I want to be, I want to be here with you. You know, well, he he had it before that speech, but after that speech, they all you know just rallied around him, and I think his leadership was certainly the number one reason why we won the SEC in 2005. And that was quite a game when we played LSU that year, and um, Shockley played just about flawless in that game. Coach, you had so many great moments and great years at Georgia. It's a long, long time, and and you know I know there's a lot of highs. Do you look back and think what could have been in some of the seasons? Do you have any either regrets or moments you wish had gone differently uh, through the time? I really don't. 
I really don't have any regrets. I mean, obviously, I wish we would have won at least one national championship. Um, I mean, because that's what you strive for every year, period. Um, and we had, you know, I, I guess the one year we played Alabama with Murray and, you know, we came down to the wire and had a chance to win that thing and play Notre Dame for the national championship that year was big. You know, we played Hawaii. We probably had been in a 14 playoff. Um, you know, so there's, there's times where if times were different, we probably at least got in those in the playoffs, but we never truly got to play in a national championship game while I was there. And, you know, I got a chance to do that a bunch at Florida state, didn't get a chance at Georgia's head coach. So certainly I wish that would have happened, but I mean, I don't look back at my life or my, my career with regrets as much as uh, knowing what a wonderful blessing it is. I, I just went to a uh, a funeral of a family member this weekend, and anytime you go to a funeral, you you start to think about your own mortality and and all that. And I was just thinking, you know, what a life I've been blessed to live to this point, um, more than most people could dream of, and. You know, God's just blessed me so much with fam- wonderful family and wonderful opportunities and great relationships and exciting times in, in the coaching profession and the relationships of all the players over the years. And I'm like, I mean, I got a long life to live still, I hope, and I believe, but I'm like, anything on top of this is great, you know. I'm uh, just a blessed man. Well, let me ask you about this before we let you go. So the way it ends at Georgia and then the the – bounce back to Miami. Um, you know, everything yeah. that ends, you don't want it to end. It doesn't end, you know, great. Just that's the way it ends. Do you, looking back, are you okay with the way it ended here? How quickly you bounced to Miami? Would you have done anything differently? Well, I, I knew I needed rest. Um, if there's one thing I'd say to anybody who's grinding away in their profession, um, you need to make sure you rest. I mean, God gave us the Sabbath for a reason. He want, He knew. He knows we need rest. And uh, you go 35 years in a row and hardly a day off. And when you do have a vacation, you're still recruiting. And and when you're the head coach, you know, I probably worked out, you know, 10 times in three years. You know, we had there was so much to do at Miami and and uh, just hit the ground running and you know, like I said, grinding away. But but I loved I loved it. Uh, but I was, I didn't take care of myself very good. You know, I probably needed some type of rest after the Georgia time. And then within 48 hours, I'm the head coach at Miami. Here we go. And uh, so, you know, there's just so much to be done. And like I said, I was enjoying every minute doing it, but I, I just didn't take care of myself very good. And, uh, you know, and I, the other thing too is there's there's really never – a good time for a head coach to decide it's over because it, it affects so many people, all the recruits, all your current players, all, you know, the administration, your coaches, their families, you know, it, it, it's a shock to everybody's system. And so that was not an easy thing to do, even though I believed it was the right thing to do for Miami and, and for me personally. Coach, the career speaks for itself. Now moving into the uh, the TV side of things with the ACC Network. Thanks for spare, uh, spending some time with us and sharing some of the stories. It's uh, it's great to go back down memory lane. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. You have a good day. Thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to listen to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Thanks to our producer, Matt Lear. 
for his assistance with the program. He's the glue that keeps the operation running. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming uh-huh. A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Hey, Atlanta, Hudson Mason here. Is a new roof still on your to-do list, but you've been delayed due to rising home service costs? Well, here's a fantastic solution from Accent Roofing Service. Zero down, zero payments, and zero interest for a full year. That's right. You can get your new roof now and start paying next year. Act quickly because Accent's incredible offer of zero, zero, zero with a 12-month deferred payment option for a lifetime roof system isn't going to last long. Contact the craftsman at Accent Roofing Service today, accentroofingservice.com. 